Hi, James. Ben, how are you? Uh, I'm good. I think the time is now to make the ironic joke that you were you were tending towards. We're on our third try to start this podcast. Um, uh, it is the 21st century, and technology seems to be letting us down a little bit. Well, specifically Skype, uh, which is you know one of those uh, services that. Uh, that I think Microsoft's supposed to focus on. So yes, I know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Details, grand strategy, but there's always this damn execution thing, right? Yeah. Um, so you know, if, uh, of before we get to that, because um, I, I there's actually a specific point. Um, I wrote a big thing about Microsoft yesterday. Um, let's talk about awesome. that in a moment. Let's talk about that in a moment. Um, well, thank you. Uh, a quick bit of feedback on last week, and and especially the Uber part. I think we got. You know, we got a fair bit of of feedback on that, and, and some of it was really along the lines of, you know, we were cold hearted, we were, um, you know, neo neoliberals, we were just like, you know, all those other worthless Silicon Valley people. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm probably overstating it a bit, um, but I think uh, I, I think it's worth it's worth being super clear on what we were trying to say, um, right. and that is that what we're saying is is price is a we're talking about price not as like an economic thing or a political thing we're talking about it as like a a signaling mechanism like how does the pregnant woman say she needs an uber more than everybody else like the way she says that is by is by paying the most money and and you would want to use price even if you want a system that's totally quote unquote fair where everybody gets ten, you know everybody has $10,000 like and it's 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 the exact same no one has more resources than anybody else you would still want to use price as a way of communicating who needs the resource the most right. and um and so i think that's that's what at least to my mind, that's what we were driving at with with Uber and why banning surge pricing is stupid. It's not stupid because of a political statement. It's stupid because price is a very useful thing, and to get in the way of that um, is is no good. If you want to fix it, fix it on the other end. Yeah, I mean, I com- I, I completely agree. It, it, this is a question of there are scarce resources out there in society, and there has to be some mechanism of allocating them, right? And I mean, yeah, there are there are problems with price. Not everyone has the same amount of money, and in an ideal, like in an idealized economic environment, everyone would have the same amount of money. And therefore, when someone strongly expresses a preference and they're willing to pay more, it's because they really, really need it more. And obviously, the realities of the situation are such that some people have more money than others, so they're able to express that preference better. But the question is, what's the alternative mechanism of What's the alternative mechanism of allocating resources if you don't use price? And I think you made the point. You made the point in a discussion we had offline. Well, if it's not if it's not price that you're using, you're you're basically using luck or people's willingness to queue up or or all these other potentially random factors, and it just doesn't feel like a very satisfactory solution. Now, well, I think I think that that is probably the fairest criticism of of our point is that. We're not we're not living in a theoretically perfect world, right? And this is the this is the famous criticism of economists in general, right? Right. No models are <laughs> models of the real world are the most unlike the real world of like anything. <laughs> um, and I think, uh, but I, I think that the the problem is in what you're talking about is yes, and when you talk about price, you're talking about money, and and you're inherently dealing with inequality. The problem is is 
by messing with the pricing mechanism, you're just causing more problems. You're not actually fixing anything. Right. And so if, if the issue that people are upset about is inequality and people unable to express preferences through price, I think, I hope not to be putting words in your mouth, but I think you'd agree that there are better ways of solving that, for example, through a progressive taxation system than there are by going around to individual businesses and saying how they can and can't price during certain circumstances, which is what New York's doing to Uber right now. Well, it does say it, it does say something though. Um, I mean, one we can sit here and criticize Uber for not communicating well, but obviously we weren't communicating well either. And part of that is probably our fault in talking yeah. a little bit too academicy. But part of it is also, I think, just these sort of things and anything that deals with people and deals with um, deals with their perceptions. Uh, inherently gets tied up with with everything, right? It, you, it's easy to sit here and have an academic discussion and to tease out the different points, but the the actual experience of life is never so neat as we as you know we we want it to be on on this podcast or or anywhere else. I I think that that criticism is valid. That things are messy in it. It can be hard to tease things apart, but it's actually <laughs> that's actually quite an interesting segue into a really cool post that you wrote this week about Microsoft. I'm not sure if everyone who's listening has had a chance to check it out. Do you want to tell us a little bit about it? It's funny. I actually had a a much subtler title when I when I first put it up, which was "Making Sense of Microsoft." Um, it now says uh, it, it it's time to split up Microsoft, which is a bit more. <laughs> A bit more clickworthy, um, but I the reason I didn't want to go there is because that's the remedy I see. But most of the article is spent diagnosing the problem, and I don't want that to get lost in the lost in the focus on the remedy. Anyhow, the, basically the problem that I see with Microsoft is uh, I Sayanadella wrote these two memos. Um, basically, the first one was laying out this new vision, and the second one was. Uh, Basically, saying we're firing a bunch of people. Um, and I, I actually thought the first one was quite good. I know there was a lot of criticism about being wordy and long. Um, I think a lot of that was really uh, – I, I thought it was mispl- misplaced. Um, yes, yes, it was wordy. Yes, it was too long. Um, that's how that's how corporations speak for the most part. That's how it works. Mm. That's how Microsoft speaks. Um, every Microsoft person like understood exactly what he was saying there. And, and if you look at it in comparison to like Steve Ballmer memos, or and I actually looked at an old Ballmer memo, um, it was it was very clear. It was like we are not doing all these five zillion things. We are a productivity company. We're not doing services and devices. We're going to be on all devices, um, and. And basically, I th- I took it as being a pretty clear refutation of a, a lot of what his predecessor Steve Ballmer especially had articulated in, in, over the last year. Um, mm. And so I was I was I was pretty encouraged, but, but that came out right for one vacation. And then kind of the more I thought about it, um, and looking at some of the stuff that came out after that, uh, it's it's like what we were saying. It's one of those things that it makes a lot of sense to say, and I'm glad he said it. And it echoes, you know, it echoes a lot of stuff that I've been saying over the last year. Um, I'm not saying that there's any connection there. Hopefully, I've been saying it because it's the right thing to do. Um, but I really question if if it's really going to make a difference at at Microsoft. Um, 
as long as Microsoft is construed as it is. And it's because Microsoft has always been the Windows company. Uh, everything's been built on Windows. And the problem is for Nadella's vision to truly come to pass, Microsoft has to let Windows go. Um, you know, they can nurse it as a cash cow theoretically, but it can't at all, not even in the slightest, dictate their choices and strategy going forward. And mm. I have trouble seeing that that ever that ever being the case. Right. Well, I mean, it's interesting to think about this from a historical perspective, right? Like, what was Microsoft's original mission? Computer on every desk in every office, or in every office, yeah. every home, running Microsoft software. I know it's like it's gonna be that's the kind of thing where you know a culture forms around something like that and they were incredibly successful in pulling that off I mean they they achieved it and it's funny and we, we talked about this a little bit in one of the first episodes the point at which you could start to say they lost their way was the point at which they people started waking up inside of Microsoft and saying well gosh we've we've got there now what well, so this is the thing I really wanted. To, I really wanted to discuss with you because I think another thing we did talk about, like the very first episode, I think was was the idea of culture, mm. and and I, I this is the th this thing I tried to communicate in my post, and you know a lot of people respond on Twitter saying, well, like listing all the advantages of having their own platform, and and of course, why they why couldn't they do both, and. And it's almost a very uh, unsatisfying answer to say because of culture, um, even though even if it's like the most powerful answer, if that makes sense. And right. I think I think the thing with culture, especially when it comes to talk about Microsoft, is people instinctually think culture is a bad thing. That's not true. Culture is like culture is a good thing. It's the best thing right up until the moment it becomes the worst thing. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, it's. I don't know if everyone who's listening heard the first episode, but when when we start talking about culture, there's a there's an MIT scholar by the name of Edgar Schein, who's one of the foremost the foremost theoreticians on culture, and he describes it as like a shared a shared process for decision making. So the first time people come up decision making and problem solving, the first time a problem comes up. They that people look around, they're like, "Well, what do we do with this problem? Like, how are we going to solve it?" And the, you know, like there are a whole bunch of there are a whole bunch of possibilities. And eventually, someone or a group of them, group of people, decide to pick one. And if it works, and it doesn't have to work perfectly, it just has to work well enough. Then the next time they encounter that problem, they're going to think a lot less about is this the right way to do it. They're just going to say, well, this worked well enough last time. Let's just do the same thing again. And eventually they encounter that problem enough times that nobody thinks about anything before they do it. They see the problem. They're just like, this is the way we do things here. And it's it's this art of making sure that the things that when, when things work well enough, that they're the right things to do. Because, you know, you could ship something and you've cut a whole bunch of corners, but the customer doesn't mind too much. If you do that the first time, then the next time that's what's likely to happen. And before you know it, you have this culture of cutting corners. And so there's an art of being a manager to making sure that the way in which people solve problems, particularly the time they solve the problems, that that first time, they do it the way that you want them to do. 
Now, it also has implications further down the line because if you want to change that, I mean, it becomes the mechanism by which people solve problems and make decisions. And that's great because as a manager, you don't need to be there all the time. The problem comes when the external environment shifts so much that you need to change it. You need to change the way people think about how they solve problems. And if a culture has been baked in and they've become super successful, it's really hard to change that. Well, I think well, this is where the, I think the Microsoft ex- example is so interesting, and this is what I was, you know, trying to articulate is, you know, as Microsoft pursued that goal, like they created this incredible virtuous cycle where uh, Windows powered all the PCs, and then mm. Office ran on top of Windows, and Office was designed to run on Windows, and that was okay. Generally speaking, you know, a a a more horizontal service layer like like Office or something like that would want to be everywhere, right? Office should run on all the machines. Well, mm. in a happy coincidence, all the machines were Windows, so there was there was no choice to make. Like usually, you know, you need to choose between being a vertical company where your kind of services and software differentiate your hardware or being mm. a horizontal company where the hardware is commoditized and and you want to be everywhere. And but right. Microsoft Microsoft was able didn't have to make that choice because they 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 were everywhere. They were all the verticals and all the horizontals like all your base are belong to us. Like and so they um but but what happened was was basically the default was uh this all and then server came along and that supported office and was built on windows but all this was predicated on windows and so the justifiably learned way of looking at the world for microsoft was that was that windows was the most important like maintaining windows right. was the key because as long as windows was going well then office was going well then server was going well and then those have been the three money makers forever, um, and and the whole the whole the whole challenge for Microsoft now is is Windows ha- has seventeen percent of the market. Seventeen percent is not a monopoly, and yeah. and now they're but they've spent twenty five years with a certain mindset. And here's the thing: for twenty five years, that mindset wasn't wrong. It was it was a good mindset to have. But the world's changed. Well, but that that no, it has. But like that's the whole point. Like it's easy to yeah. to sit here. No, and I'm to agreeing. Say, it's easy to sit I mean, here and say agreement. <laughs> we're we're still avoiding the violent disagreement. Yeah. All right. Well, it's so I tell you what is interesting that the the last big technology company. Well, I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm overstating it, but the, the parallel that comes back to my mind is when Jobs returned to Apple, and everyone, all everyone inside of Apple, but all the Apple Apple fanatics perhaps were were fixated on the holy war of like we've got to get over Microsoft. And it was interesting. One of the first one of the things that I remember about that first Jobs keynote when he when he got up there and he. He brought Gates out on stage, was it, or video conference or whatever. It's like, you know, this war is over and we've lost. It's time to move on. And in doing that, I think he he was able to change the way people inside Apple thought about their purpose. Now, 
Jobs is a pretty remarkable character and he did some, like Apple was in dire straits. So one of the ways in which you can change a culture is is because things are going so badly wrong, everyone recognizes that the old process of making decisions is no longer going to work. And Jobs probably pushed that over the edge by bringing Gates up on stage and saying, you know what, Microsoft's no longer the enemy. We need to change the way we think about the world. And I, I'm not sure, like Microsoft's still doing well enough that I'm not sure that they're going to be in a position to be able to do what Jobs did. And that's why I found your suggestion of breaking up the country, company so interesting because it would enable a part of the organization to start thinking differently about the reason that it comes into work every day. Yeah, no, I think you, I think you made the point that it wasn't, it was good that Jobs was there, make no mistake, but it was the fact that Apple was literally days away from not make, making payroll. Right. <laughs> like that, that more than anything, uh, makes a, makes a change possible. Um, but yeah, no, I think, and that's, I guess that's the thing with, with Microsoft is, um, they're still making a ton of money. Windows is still making a ton of money. And the, the, and and so th- when w- when everyone's wringing their hands like me about Microsoft, we're not wringing our hands that they're going out of business tomorrow, like Apple was going to. Right. We're wringing our hands about the fact like they have no growth prospects. Business is like a you're on an escalator. Like if you're not if you're not walking forward, you're moving backwards. And mm. and the problem is like I don't think you know is the worry that Microsoft. Well, I guess it's that they that they that they fade away. Um, and that gets back to our old point. Maybe that's not the worst it thing was. in the world. But yeah, I mean, I was gonna. I was. It was the question that was starting to come to my mind. Like this is something that we've talked about in previous episodes. You you spent a good deal of time and and came up with a very coherent strategy in terms of how an old dog can learn new tricks. Like how they could structure this organization such that they have a fighting shot at the next big thing. But I mean, I. <laughs> Isn't there, what about the argument that actually all that company should be doing is focusing on milking the cash cow and, and slowly fading to black? Well, it's interesting because th- th- I guess that's, th- I'm still saying that because the cash cow is Windows and that's the right. part that, ought, and so I almost, so almost instead of spinning off the hot new thing, companies should spin off the, you know, the old geriatric thing. Um and usually you can't do that, right? Because you need something to make money. But Microsoft makes money to their credit in several ways. Um, and a country built, you know, a country, a company built around Windows and a company built around Office would both be very profitable. And I guess what I come back to is, in my mind, the like there, the best growth potential for Microsoft is in its services. But mm-hmm. its services, uh, there's two problems. The the most obvious problem is that is the risk that Microsoft's productivity side favors Windows, um, yes. and that's no good because you're favoring Windows when it's not even close to being the dominant platform. And I'm t- by dominant uh, top platform, I'm talking about tablets and phones. Um, well, that's no good. But even if you somehow overcame that and managed to treat it the same, so you, I'm going to treat Windows and iOS and Android all the same and Windows Phone. Um, you're incurring a big opportunity cost that your competitors aren't incurring. I managed a couple of categories of the App Store for Windows 8. I would walk in people's offices, right? And developers' offices and say, you know, hey, you should build an app for Windows 8. It'd be great. 
and and they would say uh rightly so like basically and i had I, what, what can i say if they were rational about it they would get more return on their time by improving their ios app or improving their android app than they would in building another app and having to support mm. it and all that sort of stuff right um yep that's just that was the rationally right thing to do that gave them the best chance for success like as long as as long as you have one part of the company that is feels a duty to support another that's working at opposite aims it's just not going to work out yeah i mean it, this is a tough call right it's i mean it, it's a really tough call i the question i wonder what would so I mean I think your proposed solution of of um, of doing this is just such an interesting idea for all the reasons you've outlined. I wonder I wonder if like, like culturally from like the the way people inside the organization would react to something like this. It's it's so it's it's such a mindset shift in terms of the way people have uh, think about their reason for coming into work every day and and the things that matter. The, the culture is so deeply embedded in terms of Windows is this thing that you have to support. And the other thing that, that your post really brought across is just how unique Microsoft's situation seems in my mind to be of like a company that had a successful horizontal and vertical strategy. Like that's just so rare. But it, coming back to it, like, what like do you so it's from a conceptually it makes a lot of sense but do you think that even the services company would be able to pull itself away and start to think like based on your experience there do you think they'd be able to pull themselves away from from this thinking of like well part of the reason we're here is to support windows because that's such a big part of microsoft well i i think i think so and i think what's interesting is um you know microsoft has this reputation for uh you know, all this political infighting and different groups hating each other. And there's that famous cartoon yeah, that, that illustrates the organizational structure of every tech company. And the one of Microsoft is like <laughs> different groups pointing guns at each other. <laughs> um, and, and people chalk that up to Microsoft having some sort of poisonous culture. And, and thinking about it in, in light of what I just wrote about, I'm not, qu- I'm not so sure that's the case. I think I think that people respond to situations that you put them in. And if you think right. about, imagine you're in the office group. Like, so you are, you're in this culture, you're in this way of thinking where everything is, everything rests on Windows and Windows first. And Windows is the most important thing to Microsoft. Like that's what Steve Ballmer said a year ago. Windows is the most important thing to Microsoft. And w- what I realize now and what I said in my piece is, he wasn't stating strategy. He was stating a fact. And and so you're in office and you know that Windows is the most important. But at the same time, you want your own product to succeed. And so you want your product to to be on different platforms or to do different things or to, to go in a direction that might not suit Windows. And actually, this fact, this fact that Microsoft had a horizontal section of the company and a vertical section of the company glued together almost that's almost i bet what what introduced a lot of the 
a lot of the conflict and a lot of the divisions was was there was almost these dueling impulses where the culture was was actually pulling people together, but mm. their own natural incentives were pushing them apart. That's really interesting. And and pulling the pulling the organizations apart, you think would resolve that. I think so. I, I mean, I think like the, 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 that's how that's how you break the that's how you break the the spell, like the the windows the windows for a spell. I mean, again, it's easy for for Satya Nadala to to write it to write a memo and to say right. that we're going to be productivity first and we treat all devices equally, but yep. but then but the it's a lot easier to say something than it is to have it actually trickle down and to make a difference in the way people actually act. And it, not just people in Redmond where there is the office division and there is the windows division and it's, you can see them defending their turf, but you get to the guy in the field, right? The guy who's out in Warsaw, Poland and the, the Microsoft office there. And he has to go out and he has to sell windows and he has to sell windows phone. He has to sell office and he has to sell all these things. And he's really going to, to, Move Azure and and sell Azure for iOS, you know, as as an iOS backend. No, he's gonna first try to sell Windows Phone, and then he's gonna get shot down. And then he's gonna try to sell Windows Eight, and he's gonna get shot down. And say, well, maybe you could also try our backend services for iOS. And he's asked, he's ruined the pitch already. Like I've sat yeah. in countless, I've sat in countless meetings with these field guys, and they have their numbers to hit, and they have to get their Windows right. Phone Seven apps, and they have to get their their Windows Eight apps, and and they and the 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 stuff at the end the Azure stuff and the Office 365 stuff doesn't stand a chance because they they're already walking out with their tail between their legs. Yeah, it's a tough problem to solve. I look again. I came away from reading that article just thinking it made a, a heck of a lot of sense. And you're going to end up with one vertical company going after going after what Apple's been doing, and then a horizontal company perhaps. I mean, competing with I mean services that are that are productivity based, but it's kind of competing with Google too. Um, no, for sure, Google and that's and- the thing. And that's the thing where, where like there, there is a role for this company, right? There is a role for a for a Google alternative, where if Google mm. wants to be all free and ad supported, to have another company that is for pay, that is a premium experience. Like you can sign up for, you can get Office three sixty five, you can use their services. Um, or you could use the free Google Docs and you know betraying away your privacy and all those, those sort of things and <laughs> um, and yeah like there, it's it's a yeah it's a company that makes sense like the 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 horizontal Microsoft makes sense and the vertical Microsoft makes sense right oh here's here's the other thing like Microsoft in the second memo like announced they're shutting down like all Nokia's like feature phone business and all that all that sort of stuff again. In, in the context of the current Microsoft, that makes sense. It's something they can't afford to focus on. But actually, in the context of a vertically integrated device company, that's a that's a poor move. Like that was your entry point to the developing world and getting them into, you know, into your brand and into your system. And like so they're hurting themselves on both ends by by having these these two things tied together. Hmm. This will be interesting to see. It, so it's it wasn't the only it wasn't the only um, interesting piece of news in this space. The other thing that that caught my eye, and I think caught a lot of people's eye, and I wanted to talk to you about was what Apple's doing with IBM. Um, 
once upon a time, a long time ago, mortal enemies. And now Apple's starting to, well, Apple and IBM, like apparently both of them have something that the other one wants and a big strategic partnership um, with Apple utilizing IBM to get into the enterprise space. Yeah, I, I think this is a big deal. I, I, I'm, I'm, I will probably have an article written about this before this podcast goes up, but I haven't written it yet, so you haven't seen it. Um, but I think this is a huge deal for just for first off, the 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 reason it's a big deal from a pure business perspective is uh, Apple has a very real opportunity to dominate the enterprise when it comes to phones and and tablets, and arguably there is a clearer like value proposition for the tablet in enterprise anyway. Um, so that that's always been the opportunity, but Apple has basically never really done anything to support the enterprise. It's like Steve Jobs was famously dismissive completely of it. And <clears throat> I think the reason why was it was a cultural thing. It, it was to, to be an enterprise company is to be very different than a consumer company where you a consumer company you want to build the best possible product that will satisfy you know the most possible people enterprise you want to like make one buyer happy and bend right. over backwards and do what you can to to meet his needs and to deliver exactly what he wants and and they they result in very different priorities and and very different products right and i mean even way back when when apple was selling into enterprise it was I mean, it was it was into design departments. It was because they delighted individual designers as opposed to met the needs of 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 big corporate IT departments. And I don't know. I tried at various points in time to get a Mac back back during Apple's dark days, uh, and it was tough convincing corporate folks that this was a good idea. And it's it's only been more recently since the mobile stuff has exploded that people have just been bringing these in in a personal capacity and then loading up work email and loading up you know like taking work calls on it. And then it's, they've kind of they've kind of Trojan horse their way in a little bit. But yeah, I. It's. I, I agree. They've never. They've been so dismissive of it, and it's interesting because this speaks to a change in strategy. Suddenly, they're getting interested in it. Well, but but I, I'm not sure. Like, I almost feel like for Apple, it's almost all gravy because, like, so imagine. So IBM has been doing these sort of things forever. So IBM will go into an enterprise, and IBM mm-hmm. they're not selling devices. They've never sold devices. They're right. selling. They're selling. Well, that's not true. Forgive, they for, have forgive the word. They're selling solutions. Um, and what a solution is, is there is a device, but the device is actually only like 20% of the cost. Like on top of that, there's integration, there's software, and then there's support. And like, and so basically it ends up being like you buy a $600 device, but you're actually buying like a $3,000, it costs like $3,000 with all the services and all this stuff. And that's where all the money's actually made. Um, and I think what, for Apple and IBM, this could be a big win-win because where all the money is made is also where all that messy that messy stuff is, and so IBM can go in and do the messy stuff that they've been doing for years, and Apple will give them the devices on which to build build the messy edifice. And Apple's like, we just want to sell devices. <laughs> That's cool, right? It's interesting though because I I think I think 
uh, you've made, we've made the point at various stages that part of the reason Apple's successful as a vertically integrated company is because it's vertically integrated. And here we have an instance of them going into a market and effectively being almost, I mean, I won't say it's a commoditized piece of hardware because people still like to use them. But the the critical piece of this, well, I don't know. Is it the critical piece of the stack, the bit on top where, you know, if IBM decides to get cold feet and go somewhere else, they could easily take what it is that they've built and shift it to another platform. I, I Like the messy stuff is the hard bit. The, the device is the easy bit. Doesn't this just mean, I mean, isn't this all just gravy for IBM on the other, like couldn't the argument be made the other way? Possibly. That's, that's really interesting, actually. I, I think the... Um I guess that that's where like iOS is like surprisingly kind of def- position right now is the only real viable enterprise alternative kind of comes in right. Blackberry's basically died. Uh, Windows yeah. Phone has has shockingly never really supported enterprise. Um, Android is 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 Android and not the best. <laughs> you know, like basically right now, I, I Apple's in such a great position because. They actually happen to have the best enterprise device now, arguably, right. and that's something that they could they could arguably maintain. I guess probably Windows would probably be Windows Phone would be the alternative, um, where IBM one day is like, okay, actually, all these apps we've built and all these services we've built atop the iPhone, oh, we managed to port it to Windows Phone. Um, that's interesting, and so Apple is basically Apple's introducing a risk factor for themselves that's out of their control. Right. Or, I mean, IBM could do what Amazon did, fork Android, create its own custom operating system. I know I know you made the point at the start, it's not in the devices business, but that hasn't always been the case. And if, if they start seeing all this, I mean, I won't say all this because you're right, like $3,000 for the services, $600 for the device. But, you know, people are looking for growth and they're like, well, hang on, why don't we think about taking the operating system that's that's Lots of people are using that's free for us effectively to fork, build something underneath, you know, find some commodity hardware to put it on, and maybe we can do this without Apple at all. Yeah, I, I don't think so. That's I think that's misreading IBM in the market. Like IBM is, IBM doesn't. I don't think IBM even has the the wherewithal to do that anymore. Um, they they haven't like they sold servers earlier this year. Like their 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 x eighty six servers. Like. Um, They've sold. Yeah, their, no, no, no. Granted, it's but even then, even then, hypothetical. Like, you know, it is. I, I think. Um, I, I don't know. I think. I think it. You can see. You've done a valiant job of point on the downside. It really does seem to me like Apple and IBM are just perfect complements here. Like they don't really compete on anything. What the exact things that IBM is good at are the exact things that Apple doesn't want to do, and the exact things that Apple wants to do is the exact piece that IBM doesn't have. Um, right. I don't know. I, right I think. It's, yeah. No. 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 I, I think right now. I think right now that that's absolutely true. But I mean, the conversation started around Microsoft and how keeping Windows. Windows vertical and Office horizontal, like under those set of circumstances, that was that was absolutely the right thing to do for them at the time. But things changed, and I guess what's interesting for me is if this partnership is successful, which one of the two partners ends up having the upper hand? And I can't help shake the feeling that 
that IBM is the one that's possibly getting, I mean, they're both getting more out of it now, but in the future, who ends up in a better position? I can't help but shake the feeling it's IBM rather than Apple, but No, I, I, th- I think you're right. You're, I mean, your point that the, the one that does the messy stuff is the one that reaps the reward, I think, is spot on. Um, I guess the, the thing from the Apple perspective is if they do suddenly selling, start selling that much more in enterprise, like that's all, that's all gravy. That's all above and beyond what they're, what they're selling now. And I guess, yes, you run the risk of, of getting a bump in sales and then losing it. Um, but what's the alternative? Not ever getting the bump at all. So here's a question. What's actually in this for IBM? Like it's not that hard for them to go out and buy these devices off the shelf right now. Like you don't need a strategic part. If all you're getting out of Apple are the devices and the operating system, well, everybody gets that. I mean, what's well, no, but I, that that's the point though, is there there is a lot of there's a lot of parts in the operating system that make it enterprise worthy, right? Like right. IBM like what's great about modern devices is they are kind of blank canvases. So IBM can build all these apps and services on top of it that basically make it a customized device, even though the underlying device is the same. But at the same time, like all the like the plumbing and the networking and the VPN support and like all all the stuff that goes into um, you know being a being a a viable operating system for the enterprise like that still depends on the operating system maker i mean it's like like macs are still not really good enterprise machines right windows there's a lot of stuff that's done in windows to make it work well in a corporate environment that that is a lot of work to duplicate and that's what iOS right now of all the phone platforms, iOS is the windows of phone platforms. It's, it's the OS that by far works best in an enterprise environment, which I mean, other than Blackberry, but again, Blackberry is, 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 yeah. And this is, this is what's crazy. Taking back to, to Microsoft. I mean, if they had from the beginning built up windows phone to be the enterprise phone, um, like how much of a better position would they, would they be in now? Like they would own this space, absolutely own it, and they could expand from there possibly in, into consumer. Um, but no, they decided to carry an iPhone in a funeral procession around Redmond because they were going to kill it. <laughs> yeah, I right. I mean, right. Culture's a hard thing to come over, to get over, you know? Like it's just, it's just a hard thing to get over, and it worked for so long. It really did. Yeah. Um, well, we were. Uh, it's interesting. I, 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 I'm pretty bullish on the on this deal. Um, I think it makes a ton of sense. I think your skepticism is is probably the best skepticism that I've heard. Um, but I think I think Apple's cool with that because what's the alternative? The right. Only- I mean, it, it's in the short run. Like, there's nothing to lose. Um, I, I don't think they're giving up anything. They're not losing anything and they're getting a whole bunch of device sales that they otherwise wouldn't have gotten. In the short run, it makes a whole bunch of sense. It's just it does feel like, and it's this is somewhat unusual, it just doesn't feel like there's a future where Apple's in the driving seat of that relationship. It feels like it's very much IBM. And if they, if, if, if they attract, a, I mean, so here's the question. Are they going to attract a whole bunch of enterprise sales on the back of this that they otherwise wouldn't get? Mm, maybe, maybe not. 
but they do have the ability to bless an Apple competitor in the future by saying, you know what, we know how to do all this stuff. We've got all the software that sits on top of any any platform, any device. Uh, let's say Microsoft does split into a vertical and a horizontal company, and they they go knocking back to their their old <laughs> their old foes, IBM, and say, what will it take for us? Uh, for you to divert, to put this stuff on us exclusively instead of on Apple, on on iOS and IBM suddenly sitting in a very nice position to be able to say, well, we're going to be kingmakers in the enterprise space in terms of which device becomes successful or not. It's possible. I mean, I, I'd be be curious to see what the contract says. Um, yes, absolutely. One other thing. Uh, well, the, the the point though that I want that is. The reason I think Apple's okay with taking that risk is what they're getting by by letting IBM do that is they're not even letting that enterprise culture get close to Cupertino, right? Like it, like that whole temptation to to start changing the product to suit the enterprise, like beyond what they've already done, right? Beyond what what beyond what, what what is reasonable what they do um like they're they're just they're just keeping kind of a separation there and if that separation means that IBM ultimately has the true relationships when it comes to enterprise well I I'm not sure that Apple I think that's that's a trade-off that Apple is willing to make for the sake of preserving their their kind of cons- consumer culture I think that point is very well made. And I mean, ultimately, these things, they come down to a, a choice around priorities and what matters most. And if you, <laughs> if you were to ask me which one I think matters most in terms of like, well, going into the enterprise market and controlling the relationship or, or losing that singular focus on delivering products that delight individual consumers... I would say that the argument you've just made is a is a very strong one for structuring the deal the way they did as a mechanism to get into the enterprise space without risking any of that secret sauce. Yeah, uh, that, well, I'm going to totally steal your your counter argument. I think, like I said, I, I've I've I haven't written this up yet. I was going to write it up tomorrow morning. Um, so thank you for that. Oh, my pleasure. <laughs> That's the so- joy of these conversations. Yeah, well, we had a we had a rough one here. I was a little sick, and we 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 ended up recording on a regular telephone. Uh, so hopefully, this turns out. If it was a little if it was a little disjointed, uh, dear listeners, I apologize. Um, Isn't it? It's funny how every time you seem to come to the states, we have technical problems. But when you're in Taipei, everything seems to work perfectly. It's, I know. It's, it's, there's some there's some irony in the fact that it works better when you're on the other side of the Pacific Ocean. <laughs> I know. <laughs> that's all that's all you need to know about United States internet infrastructure. Yeah, it's great going out of the country. Inside the country it's a little bit more iffy. <laughs> yep. All right, sounds good. Well, we should wrap this up, so I need to get some sleep. Yeah, mate. Really good talking to you. I uh, hope you feel better. I know you've all been right. a little bit under the weather, so yeah, and I'll catch you later. All right, talk to you later. Bye-bye. See ya. Yo. Yo. <laughs> this is this is totally old school. We're recording and we 
we're, we're relying on good old AT&T and whoever to like mean that we can actually talk to each other. Yeah, let's simultaneously clap on three. So just for the mics. Okay. Ready? Okay. Yep. One. Uh, on three. One. On your three. Or no. Uh, after the three. One, two, three, clap. Okay. So you're going to do one, two, three, clap, and then I'll clap. No, we clap at the same time. Yeah, yeah, I know. All right, ready? One. Yep. Two, one, two, three. No, you're supposed to clap at the same time as me. I did. No, you were like five seconds after me or two seconds after me. Well, I clapped at the same time I thought I heard you say one, two, three, clap. So let's do one, two, three, clap. We'll say it together. So, uh, and one. so, like, clap on the clap. One, two, three, clap, like that. Okay. And when I hear clap, I'm clapping. <laughs> yep. Okay. One, oh, I got. One, two, three. All right, close enough. <laughs>